This is an ABC podcast. There are two words that we've become pretty used to hearing around sport in Australia. Gamble responsibly. But not for much longer. Australia is cracking down on gambling companies with some big new rules. G'day, it's Dave Marchese with you for the Hack Podcast. In a sec, we're going to get into these changes, tell you what they are, ask if they're going to work... Also coming up, another young rapper's been killed. Takeoff's been shot dead in the US. It sent shockwaves through the hip-hop world. Ebony is going to join us in a bit to break this down for us. First, though, we're going to check in on something happening at the moment. And just a warning to our First Nations listeners, we are going to be speaking about an Aboriginal person who's died. Because vigils are being held in capital cities across the country for Cassius Turvey, the 15-year-old Noongar Yamaji boy who died after allegedly being beaten while walking with friends after school last month. Hack Serge Negus is at Sydney's Town Hall, where one of the biggest vigils is about to get started. Serge, how big is the turnout at the moment? Yeah, Dave, so there's quite a few people down here already at Sydney's Town Hall in the CBD, and there are more people streaming down George Street as I speak. But obviously, this is not the only place where people are gathering tonight. There are more than 40 events in every capital city and many regional centres across the country, as well as events organised even in the United States and New Zealand. And that sorrow is obviously something you can feel down here tonight, but... To me, right now, looking around me, everything seems really peaceful, so we'll see how things go throughout the night. All right, Serge Negus, we'll come back to you later in the show as we get closer to those vigils. Hack. My people, this is your popular same-day multi. Nearly 1,000 ads like this are hitting the airwaves in Australia every day, and that's just the ones on free-to-air TV, not on social media, the radio or in print media. By comparison, Britain has 14 a week. By comparison, Italy and Spain have banned sports betting ads. Australians are still the world's biggest losers when it comes to gambling, losing up to $25 billion each financial year. Advertising is a trigger for people who have gambling problems. On Triple J. Yeah, gambling is a huge problem in Australia. There's no denying it. Like, did you know problem gambling among online gamblers is three times higher than those who play the pokies? Three times. It's wild. And we know a lot of those who get caught up in problem gambling are young guys. And with the Melbourne Cup yesterday, which is is Australia's biggest one-day gambling event, that's clearer than ever. So it was pretty huge today when the government announced it's cracking down. From April next year, betting companies like Ladbroke, Sportsbet, they're going to need to include a caution about gambling and information for people on how they can get help. The gambling responsibly tagline is out. That's being ditched. It's going to be replaced with things like, chances are you're about to lose. This is what Social Services Minister Amanda Rishworth had to say about it earlier today. Gamble responsibly has been a tagline that people have been very familiar with, but what we know is it doesn't really work to minimise the impact of harm minimisation on online wagering. So what the states and territories and the Commonwealth have agreed is on seven uh, new taglines that will have to be rotated, that online wagering uh, companies will have to display on TV ads, on social media, online radio. It's big stuff. What do you think? Do you reckon these changes are going to work? And would these slogans make you think twice about putting a bet on? Something like, imagine what you could be buying instead. That's another one of the slogans that the government's putting forward. Well, let's break this down a bit more with Dr. Andrew Hughes from ANU. He knows a lot about marketing. Andrew, thanks so much for joining us on Hack. Thanks, Dave. Seems like a bold strategy from the government. Do you think they've gone far enough? 
I don't think they have actually. I think I think what they really missed the boat on here is the um, gambling ads during G-rated times. So during the daytime when kids are watching. So it's a good move, but it's basically plain packaging for advertising in sports and gambling. So um, I can see what they've done, the reason behind it. That's good. But at the same time, their first steps, what they should have done harder is number one, um, ban it from during kids watching um, programs. And number two, probably also put limits on what people can spend every day on gambling full stop. Because you're saying like little, little kids are getting, you know, used to this kind of messaging and talking as well, right? Yeah, look, I'll use the example of my two boys um, who shocked me about six months ago and they could recite nearly word for word one of these gambling companies' um, promos during the game and I was just thinking to myself, wow. That's crazy. Um, it's get, it's getting too scary now because they're basically the future target market for these companies. And that's what really scared me because that's what we call unaided recall. Now, unaided recall means it's gone into your long-term memory and it sits there and that's how it can be very, very effective. And for them to have that unaided recall and to remember the words like that, I thought, whoa, we've got to put some limits on this quickly because that's the next generation going to be affected. The gamble responsibly tagline Andrew, I mean, I want to talk about that. People are really familiar with it. It doesn't have much of an impact anymore, though, because we're so familiar with it. Do you think yes. the same thing's going to happen with the new taglines? Like, people will just get used to those as well. Uh, so, this is why they're going to have rotating taglines for, to get away from the fatigue factor. Now, fatigue factor is in advertising where you get to know the tagline, therefore you get to know what the ad is, and you switch off to it without hearing the full ad. And so, to get around that effect, so in other words, advertising takes into consideration, it's going to be more effective if you listen or watch all of it. If you switch off too early, it loses its power. So, if they have changing taglines, they get around that issue, they hope. The other issue too is at the moment saying gambling responsibly. To a lot of people that means, oh yeah, there's no risk factor involved. I'm not going to lose money. It just means I'm having fun. Yeah. And say if we change the word and make you go, hell, hang on, this is bad for you. This behavior is not a good thing for you. Um, we're just giving people a warning that that behavior is a negative behavior and there's risk factors involved. That makes people stop and slow down. So it will be effective in getting some people away from it. Not everyone. This is what they found with um, plain packaging with um, cigarettes. You have around 10% of the population who are going to be still diehard smokers because it's an addictive product. The same with gambling. What they'll try and do is get away from um, the maybe casual gamblers to stop them from becoming the hardcore addictive gamblers you talked about just before. So, and then they can focus on those hardcore addictive ones where they're in deep trouble and they don't really realise it. Or if they do, they don't know how to put their hand up and ask for help. You're listening to Hack. I'm Dave Marchese speaking with marketing expert Dr. Andrew Hughes about these new online gambling rules the government's announced. Andrew, how do experts come up with these taglines and warnings? Like, is there a lot of thought that goes into what will be the most effective? Yes, they would have done some market research on the um, prime target market for this. Now, the prime target market is going to be young guys, so um, age between around 18 to maybe 30, maybe early 30s in category, because they're also more likely to gamble together. Now, we know that because these gambling companies target that behaviour specifically. They even encourage you to do that with your friends, which is really scary. But the reason why they do that, it minimises your thinking going, oh, this is a bad behaviour because it now becomes a positive experience. And so what they would have done is research into how do we stop that behaviour from happening in the first place? How do we maybe make it a conversation starter with your friends? You might go, hang on, what we're doing here is a little bit risky. We could lose money. Let's just pull it back a bit. 
And so that's what they're also they're thinking about here as well. It isn't just at an individual level with these taglines, it's a group level as well. So they would have done some research in different scenarios with that, individual and group, to make sure these taglines would have brought up those questions within the potential target market, in this case, the young guys. There's a few people on the text line saying, what about the drink responsibly tagline? Does that mean that'll be changing as well? Another You'd person, so. yeah, <laughs> another person says slogans like that go in one ear and out the other for me, so I don't see it having much effect. Another person on Triple G Instagram says, you know, we don't advertise cigarettes. Why are we advertising alcohol and gambling? Don't those struggling have a hard enough time? Andrew, what kind of marketing strategies do betting companies use to keep people coming back? Um, number one, um, group behaviour. So you're doing this part of a group, which means you don't feel alone anymore. You don't feel left out. Um, they use positivity about the experience itself. So you can share your experience now as well, which is really remarkable compared to different times. Um, they also minimise the risk factors involved. They'll play up the fact that there's less risk involved by different bet types and what those bet types might be. So things like, hey, we'll give you an early payout if your team is ahead at halftime. And so it's trying to minimise the risk in terms of you thinking, well, I'm doing this really negative behaviour. Maybe I should be spending my money on going out somewhere with my friends tonight instead of perhaps on gambling. So they look for ways to minimise any sort of negativity with what you're currently doing. So anything which they can do that through um, user experience as well with apps to make them a lot more user-friendly, where it seems to be a very easy experience. Again, anything like that at all is an excellent way for them to target the young consumer out there. Will these betting companies be freaking out, do you reckon? Oh, I think they would be in some way. I think this is a warning shot across the bow. I think it's not really game over yet, so to speak, pardon the pun. Um, <laughs> but but it's it's like getting close to it because I think the next step they should be worried about is where they ban gambling and advertising during G-rated times. So that would stop the next generation I talked about before from coming through, having learned that behaviour. Even if they can't enact the behaviour, um, if they've got it into their long-term memory though, as I said before, that's where you start to worry because then it becomes easier to market to them in the future because they're already familiar with it. They've already had a positive association with it. And that's where it becomes a lot easier for these companies to get a toe into the market. So if you close that door in the future, I think it become a lot harder for these gambling companies to survive because the flow on effect isn't going to be coming through anymore. And Andrew, just quickly, how long do you think it'll be until we can see if these changes are having an impact? I mean, they don't come into effect for a few months yet, but will it yeah. be something we see immediately? No, we won't. Um, there is a delay effect with any sort of advertising. So um, even a be positive advertising by the gaming companies themselves. So March 2023 is when they come in. I'd wait until at least 12 months after that to see sort of any flow on effect. Right. Dr. Andrew Hughes from ANU, really appreciate your insight. You know a lot about marketing and we appreciate all of your expertise. Thank you very much for joining us on Hack. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, everyone. On Triple J's Instagram, we're getting some comments through. Someone says, step in the right direction. Still lots of work to be done. Ban the ads outright, to be honest. Another person, gambling's an addiction. No slogan or catchphrase is going to deter people. And Cam says, thank goodness. I hate all this stuff and all those ads. Finally. Hack. We were informed that there was a um, private party being held at the event last night that ended at approximately 1 a.m. And then after that ended, uh, there was a large group of people who gathered at the front door area just outside of the uh, building. And uh, it led to an argument where the shooting took place. Any homicide victim, their family, we stand with them. There are too many young men of color that are being, lives are being cut short from other young men of color. 
And that has to stop because that's tragic. But y'all not tired of this shit yet? R.I.P. takeoff, bro. If there's a disagreement in those few seconds when the emotions are running high, uh, people pull their guns and then they're shooting. And in my day, you have a disagreement, fist fight, and you deal with it. On Triple J. You know, if you're a hip-hop fan, you woke up to some heavy news this morning. American rapper Takeoff from the massively influential group Migos was shot dead. He was just 28 years old. Investigations are still underway to figure out exactly what happened. We know that Takeoff was apparently at a party in Houston. Someone opened fire. Look, it's a way too familiar story. Over the past few years, we've lost a heap of young hip-hop stars. And now celebrities around the world are demanding change. They say this violence needs to stop. I want to find out a bit more about Takeoff, his legacy, the reaction to his death over the last few hours. Triple J's very own Ebony Boiro is with us now. Hey, Ebony, thanks so much for joining us on Hack. Thank you for having me on. Look, were you pretty surprised when you saw this news about Takeoff being shot? Absolutely. I actually heard from my friend late, late last night who saw it circulating on Twitter and it was just unfathomable. I was literally like, surely not another rapper has been killed over something you know, ridiculous. It's really sad. Yeah, and I mean, that's been a lot of the commentary that we've been seeing, you know, in music circles at least mm. um, over the past day. Can you explain what kind of figure Takeoff was in hip-hop? Because heaps of people listening now, even if they're not too familiar with him, would be know his music, right? Absolutely. Migos are huge. They're out of Atlanta. They're sort of known for pioneering the triplet flow. It's like real staccato, real fast pace. He, I think, was known you know, debatably as being one of the best rappers in Migos, the best one. He was was known for, like, saying real clever things. His flow was really cool. Um, obviously, the Migos, well, not obviously to everyone, but the Migos is made up of Quavo, which was his uncle, and Offset, who was um, Quavo's cousin. Now, they're actually beefing at the moment. It's really sad because they came up in a, in 2008, I think, and, and Takeoff was the one that sort of pushed them to make the group. They influenced people like Drake, like Kendrick Lamar. Childish Gambino actually got up in one of his acceptance speeches and likened them to the Beatles. Like, wow. Yeah, it's well, really huge. I've seen like Migos described as like one of the most influential groups of their generation. Yeah. You'd agree with that? Absolutely. I mean, people would know if they, even if they don't know who the Migos are, they would have heard songs. They've collabed with people like Travis Scott. They've been on Kanye West records, Cardi B. These are, you know, 2010s, whole sound was definitely influenced by this group. It's massive. What kind of reaction has there been to news of Takeoff's death? Like there's stuff in the music community and outside as well. And that just goes to show how much yeah. of an influence he had and how respected he was. What kind of stuff have you been saying? It's really sad because he was literally on a podcast like a month ago called Drink Champs. This is huge in like the hip hop world. And he um, just came out and said, you know, people were praising him for his lyricism. And he was like, it's time to give me my flowers. Like, give me props while I'm alive. I don't want it while I'm dead. <sighs> so for him to have been taken, you know, murdered a few weeks later is just devastating. And, you know, you think about hip hop and people like Tupac and Biggie obviously got murdered and it was horrible. But you sort of, I think a lot of people look back in like the late 90s and thought, oh, that's just something 
that, you know, it doesn't really happen. It's unprecedented. It's really sad. But from, um, I read a stat that was like gun violence in the last, since 2018 has killed one rapper a year, which is crazy. That is crazy. Yeah. I mean, is it something that's being talked about more and more in hip hop communities that we're losing, especially young people? Mm all the time. Absolutely. I saw a video of um, a rapper called Designer who had a huge song called Panda. You probably recognise it if you heard it. He was signed to Kanye's label and he was basically sobbing on Instagram Live just being like, we can't do this anymore, guys. Like, how on earth has this happened again? We've had people like Pop Smoke, Murdered, PNB Rock, Nipsey Hustle, XXX. Like, the list is so extensive and it's just devastating and it's over the silliest things, you know? Like, this, sometimes the smallest things. This is alleged to be about a a dice game. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Uh, it's crazy. so sad. And some of the commentary that I've been seeing online, like people saying there's a whole generation of young people who've grown up thinking a rapper dying young is a normal yeah. thing. And there's too much glorifying of guns and mm. drugs, whereas, you know, it used to be just a reflection of what was happening in the community. Yeah. Now it's kind of seen as just a, a, a part of it, which it's not. Absolutely, yeah. You know, and other people as well, like Chloe Kardashian was out there, one of the first people to respond mm. saying these senseless acts have to end. You've got Jake Paul, the YouTuber yeah. out there, tweeting a similar message as well. Do you think we're going to be seeing a lot more talk about this kind of stuff about gun violence in the months ahead. But I hope so because honestly, like these rappers that I'm listing aren't just like low-key people. These are people, I mean, Pop Smoke was a pioneer in the drill scene. We see it in Australia. Like the, the kids here are influenced by these people that are getting shot and it's just baffling. Migos, I honestly can't stress how big this group is. They had an album called Culture and they literally were fundamental to the hip-hop culture. Like the things we say, the way that we talk, all of that is being influenced by these people. So absolutely, it doesn't shock me at all to hear that, you know, Khloe Kardashian and Jake Paul and all these people are reaching out. That's Cardi B's baby daddy. Do you know what I mean? These people are absolutely massive in pop culture and surely that's going to trickle down and have an impact on everyone else and it has to change. And here in Australia as well, like is there a worry that that kind of culture is kind of infiltrating the scene here? Yeah. Look, growing up in Western Sydney, I actually, I've seen firsthand how young kids are influenced by music and drill music in particular and how they're pushed into thinking, you know, they have to rep a postcode or they have to be about a certain lifestyle that's not, it's really sad in a lot of cases. It's really sad. It is really sad. Sad news. A lot of fans are going to be feeling it right now. Ebony Wadu, great to have your take on it. Thank you so much for breaking it down and for staying back to chat with us on Hack. Of course. Thanks, Dave. Hack. On Triple J. Yeah, and lots of tributes coming through. Someone says, taken way too soon. Rappers dying at record rates. Another person, Christian in Baxter, says, wonder if he'd still be with us if access to handguns and assault weapons was restricted in the US. Hack. 28 infectious cases in the community. Plus the diameter of Fairfield. There'll be 65 new cases tomorrow. On Triple J. Yeah, remember that guy? He called himself the People's Premier at the height of the COVID pandemic here in Australia. John Bernard K. Ruse. He got famous on TikTok for predicting the daily COVID case numbers in New South Wales. Remember, he'd miraculously have the numbers hours before they were officially reported. A lot of people got behind him, thought he was funny, but then it all changed. He appeared at an anti-lockdown protest in Sydney and then he was charged by police. Well, today he was in court found guilty of encouraging people to breach pandemic restrictions. But there is a bit more to this, though. 
Let's find out what happened in court. ABC reporter Helena Burke was there. She's with us now. Hey, Helena, thanks for joining us on Hack. Hey, Dave. Just remind us, what was John Bernard K. Roos charged with? Yeah, so John Bernard K. Roos, who some listeners may better know as TikTok guy, had become a bit of a small-time celebrity for being so good at predicting the case numbers. And with that, he decided to go to this lockdown protest and kind of speak there. He said things like, it's time for freedom and called himself, as you said, the People's Premier. Now, he ended up being more one of more than 30 people who were charged after that protest was over. And what he faced was two counts of failing to abide by COVID directions, so those public health restrictions that were really strict at the time and he pled guilty to those and willingly admitted to not abiding by the rules there but the one that he pled not guilty to was a count of encouraging criminal behaviour and basically that was him g'ing up that crowd at the lockdown and encouraging them to keep doing what they were doing and he said that he hadn't done that and that actually was all part of his big comedy act that he does on TikTok. Right okay did we ever find out by the way how he got those accurate COVID numbers? No so to this day it remains a mystery. Bruce himself actually gave some pretty bizarre explanations for how he calculated the numbers. At one point, he said it was based on the diameter of Fairfield. That's right. Another time, the number of granny flats in Western Sydney. And may- maybe my favourite one is that he claimed he got a crayon shoved up his nose as a kid and that made him some kind of bizarre mathematical genius. Yeah. But, you know, of course... The the more realistic rumours that swirled were that he was being leaked the case numbers by someone inside the New South Wales government. And despite a lot of people believing that to be true, it was actually never proven. So to this day, we don't know how he did it. So what happened in court today? We heard about the things that he pled guilty to that he didn't. What unfolded in the courtroom? So he was found guilty on all three charges. So that's those two charges of failing to abide by the COVID rules and that one count that he denied of encouraging criminal behaviour by speaking at that anti-lockdown protest. But despite being found guilty, he actually won't face any fines, any jail time or even get a criminal record because he's essentially been given a good behaviour bond that says as long as he keeps a clean record for the next two years, he won't be convicted for what he did back in 2021. Right. And was he in court today and did he speak? He was in court, but he didn't speak in court. However, his lawyer did, spoke on his behalf. And basically the argument that that lawyer made was that K. Roos hadn't encouraged the protest because he didn't actually organise it. He just showed up to it and spoke. And that also was all a big joke to him. It was all part of the TikTok comedian act. Now, the magistrate ultimately rejected both of those arguments. She said she didn't agree with them, but she did appear to agree with K. Roos's lawyers about the fact that he was genuinely sorry for what he did and that he had really good prospects for rehabilitation. You know, he's only 25. He seems to have a really supportive family and he's now got a full-time job outside of just making TikTok videos. Right. Was there any other interesting stuff that the magistrate said in court? Yeah, well, she said it was a ridiculous assertion to say that he'd only gone to the protest for a laugh. There's actually police body cam footage of him speaking to a crowd of more than 3,500 people and he's speaking quite passionately about the lockdown having to end and people needing to be set free, that kind of thing. Mm. Um, She said, though, she wasn't going to give him a conviction basically because he'd already been sufficiently punished by by being publicly shamed. Unfortunately, something that Kay Roos's lawyers had told the court was that he'd received some really vile messages since attending the protest. People had sent him really racist things online about his Arabic and ancestry and said things like, I hope you get COVID and die. Right. On top of that, obviously, there's also been like a lot of media attention in this case and a lot of people are really angry at this guy. It was a really difficult time for people in Sydney. The lockdown was so bad and yeah. people were trapped in their house for months and this guy ignored all that. So, obviously, 
there's a lot of backlash to that. So basically, instead of the conviction, he'll get a conditional release order, which is do the right thing for two years and nothing that bad will happen to you. Right, okay. Well, that story seems to have ended. Case closed there. ABC reporter Helena Verk, thank you so much for joining us on Hack. Thanks, Dave. Hack. Cassius, your name is making a change. I hope you're smiling down, knowing how many people have heard your story, my brother. Your name... Never be forgotten. On Triple J. Thousands are gathering across the country right now at vigils to remember Cassius Turvey. You'll remember Cassius was a First Nations teenager who was allegedly murdered in Perth's North East last month. His death has led to a massive outpouring of grief, of anger, frustration, not only in Indigenous communities, across Australian society. And tonight's vigils are just getting underway. We want to take you to one. Hack Serge Negus is at the Sydney event and Serge is with us now. Hey Serge, what's the scene around you at the moment? G'day Dave. Yeah, look, the scene at the moment is there's definitely thousands of people streaming in through between Town Hall and St Andrews Cathedral here in the city. Um, there's a fire started, which I assume is going to lead to smoking ceremonies. We've got candles lined up along different stairs. And look, the vibe around here is, is one of like absolute calmness and absolute peacefulness. Um, there's so many different people from different walks of life. We've got lots of kids, we've got lots of families. And um, all in all, it's um, yeah, looking pretty good. How big are these vigils expected to be, Serge? Look, around the country, because there's obviously so many of them, um, I think organisers said they're expecting tens of thousands of people around the country. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what official numbers come out like when uh, police do their monitoring and those sorts of things. So we'll have to wait and see. At the, at the moment, though, you know, we've got at least a few thousand here in Sydney. And you've been speaking to some people there. What are they telling you? Yeah, look, I've, I've spoken to a bunch of kids who have actually come here in school uniform and they're saying things like that, you know, wearing their school uniform to the vigil just to sort of show a sign of solidarity that, like, you know, no child should ever feel unsafe in a place like Australia and that kind of thing. Um, and I actually also managed to speak to one of the organisers of the vigil here in Sydney, Bundjalung woman and advocate for children and human rights, Vanessa Turnbull-Roberts, and uh, here's a bit of that chat before. What do you think it is that's resonated so much about Cassius Turvey's death with people around the country and the world? You know, I think what we're seeing with the connection and people actually wanting to, wanting to show up and be here for Cassius Turvey is the power of um, Michelle, which is Cassius Turvey's mum. You just have to spend two minutes listening listening to the way that she is inviting the world to inclusivity, to diversity, to actually bringing people to say, you know what, children matter. And one of the messages that she's saying is, all children matter. And I think there's power to the people that are showing up here today. There's power in community and there's power in all the organisations, which is the message of what Michelle's been putting out there. She has been saying, come together as one, stand as one, stand against the fact that we are being murdered for simply being black, that kids are being targeted and that kids matter. And what are you hoping comes out of tonight's vigil, both here and around the country? I think, um, you know, just just what um, Michelle has been pushing out there in her message is she's hoping that we can come together and there can be accountability and there can be justice. And this is not just justice for uh, one body that we've seen taken. This is justice for a history and a colony that has continued to target black children. This is a pattern of behaviour that continues. And so accountability and justice for um, Cassius Turvey. What direct action would you like to see happen, like, on a, on a grand level? You know, direct action is actually being able to utilise our appropriate legal systems to say, you know what, there is accountability. And that requires people to actually 
take a moment to recognise that these issues are systemic and the systemic racism is entrenched in this colony and the systemic racism tends to happen when we don't see it often. But it's happening and it's happening to black bodies. It's happening whilst our people are incarcerated. It's happening now while our children are walking home. We're seeing constant narrative of pursuits happening with the police chasing young black children. And so what needs to happen is the legal system has to do its job right and it has to make sure that it's holding these people to account. That's why we have a legal system and that's what we need to see. It do its job appropriately and ensure that we are providing support and voices to First Nations people, in particular the Turvey family in this instance. That was Vanessa Turnbull-Roberts there speaking to Serge Negus, who is at the Sydney vigil for Cassius Turvey. Serge is with us now. Serge, have we heard much else from Cassius's family today? Yeah, so Cassius's mother, Michelle Turvey, said that, you know, seeing all these people come out to the vigils and the rallies has been really healing for her. Um, she said in a statement that, you know, she's been overwhelmed by and eternally grateful for just the support she's got from the broader community. Um, she also called for peace and calm, and it's something you can definitely feel here on the ground at this vigil itself. I mean, everyone here is very relaxed and the vibe is generally, like I said earlier, really, really good. Um, she really didn't want this to turn into something violent. Um, she said that she didn't want to perpetuate and fuel any prejudice or stereotypes. Um, and so, yeah, look, she's called on quite a few things as well. She said that she was not impressed by the police response, the fact that she wasn't able uh, to actually make a proper statement um, and that Cassius wasn't either. Um, and she's also called on the government itself to invest in eliminating youth violence. And Serge, what about Australia's political leaders? Have we heard much from politicians today? Yeah, well, the, the big conversation over the past week has been around whether this alleged attack was racially motivated. And uh, today the Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, obviously came out and said that he believes the alleged attack was clearly racially motivated. And he went on to say that my heart goes out to the family and the friends of Cassius Turvey and that this is a human tragedy and that people are hurting and my heart goes out to them in this very difficult time. Um, and we have also heard from Indigenous Affairs Minister Linda Burney and she said that Cassius's death was an example of the difficulties of Indigenous children in this country and that no child, whether Aboriginal or not, um, need, like, should face this kind of violence when they're getting off a bus, basically. So there is a lot of strong statements coming out of politics as well. All right, well, it's a big, big night across the country. Hack Senior Producer Serge Negus reporting there from Sydney's Town Hall. Serge, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Dave. And there's a vigil happening for Cassius Turvey there in Sydney and in capital cities and communities, regional communities as well across the country. Right now, one of the many events being held across Australia to remember the 15-year-old. Hack on Triple J. And a big thank you to everyone who contributed to the podcast today. Some big comments, thoughts on really big issues. That's all we've got time for. I'll catch you next time.